0: Hey guys, what's up? It's Zemet here with Cartel Aristocrats cast number 52. I'm joined this week with my regular co-host members, Ed Wynn of Kurwan's Game, Jim Casale of Modern Nexus, and Travis Allen of Outland and MTG Price. Uh, we are patently late, of course, on the Philodar Guardian ban. I think that hit everybody by surprise since most finance casts record Monday night so that we can sort of soak up the weekend and... Uh, get you guys your finance information as fast as possible. Uh, So what are your guys' thoughts on the Felidar Guardian ban now that the cat is back in the bag?
1: I'm really annoyed that they did it on like Wednesday or Thursday instead of Monday. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. A lot of people bought a lot of cards and sold a lot of cards based on information that turns out not to be true. And honestly, I think that might have been worse than... Um, Just banning it on the first day like I I don't know Uh, or just waiting and banning it in the next rotation Or the next banning cycle I should say
2: Uh, If anyone watched uh, video it was linked on my Facebook I had an interview with a PC gamer over the weekend where we talked about it um, When I was at dream hack basically the gist of it was I think they hate they jumped to that conclusion too hastily um it's it's week one like anyone who actually does testing is not going to give you like honest and truthful information um if i'm testing for a pro tour and i broke the format i'm not going to be playing on magic online right step one is hey place a Healy Cat. put like manglehorn put like glory bringer put like a few things in, in the deck that are obviously good and see how the deck tests um if I have some like ridiculous innovation or something, I'm not going to be playing on magic online. Like the level zero deck is just to place of Healy cat, play Mardu vehicles. And I think you would see a disproportionate amount of that on magic online during the first week, as opposed to if you just let the format play out a little bit. So I think the, good, I think the ban was pretty bad. If they really wanted to do it, they probably should have waited until like today to do it maybe. That still gives like the pro tour players time to do it, and it kind of gives you a little bit more data based on what happened at the Star City Open over the weekend. And of course, as soon as Travis tries to answer a question, he decides to take a siesta.
0: Um, personally, a lot of customers that I had were pissed off by this because on Tuesday they came in to uh, either buy parts to their deck, which was four colors Sahili or uh buy cards in order to metagame against four colors Sahili, and of course wednesday we get hit with this ban so of course the first thing i do is offer a full refund in credit for everyone who had just bought it was three people had just bought four colors Sahili on tuesday and i'm like well we want you to not get tilted out of um out of magic um So come get a free refund, and I'll pay for your draft on Friday to keep you addicted to playing Magic, obviously. Um, Another funny thing is one of my locals had been getting ready to play Miracles for our Legacy Tournament that occurred on Saturday, and that got banned. So he had just bought Four color to from our competitors, I believe, in order to play in a PTQ at our competitor's shop on Saturday, and then they banned that deck. But because he didn't buy from me, he didn't get a refund on his deck, as far as I know, which is like double bad beats. Uh, which I found pretty funny in the end, just like you choose like the top two decks and then they just both get banned in the span of three days. It's got to feel real rough. Um, so it's real interesting to see, you know, if it's like a lack of consumer confidence now in wizards, even though standard hasn't been that great for like five years now at this point, in my opinion, personally, um, and just how people react to investing in standard versus investing in, um in modern or legacy but speaking of investing in standard uh we've had a week go by uh the week can go by for amonkhet and we're starting to get a sense of box ev and where exactly that is and i don't think anybody is real happy with it right now um part of that could be mass drop and um mtg buzzfeed or uh jim had a very catchy name for him um uh, I forgot exactly what that was. Um, but selling boxes at like close to the, to the distribution prices at $80 a box really just handicaps the amount of uh, how high prices can go for cards when everybody's getting boxes at close to cost. Uh, yeah, thank you, Jim. It was Alpha Feed or Buzz Investments. I found that pretty clever. Um, it wasn't that good.
1: I don't know why you had to repeat it.
0: Yeah, I, I honestly think that was a good one. Um And then, of course, the uh, invocations, even though they look better in person, they're just still not selling well for me. Like I intentionally underpriced mine by a lot on TCG on Friday and sold them. And like everybody's been trying to sell to me since then and been very hesitant on how much capital I want to tie up in those and how fast I want to flip them. Uh, Ed, as someone who deals in quite a large amount of singles, what are your thoughts on the initial EV of Amonkhet
2: and the invocations now that we've had this weekend go by? So I think to kind of tie this back into your first point, like the biggest, like kind of ding against Amonkhet in in its entirety, kind of from when it was first spoiled up until now is like that just uncertainty in the market, right? Like you're at, you're at a point where, all right, like we had our scheduled, uh, uh, banner restricted day, nothing happened. Fine. Like people start buying decks, people buying the four color or whatever. Right. And then two days later you say you're gonna ban the deck. And now it's like, okay, what the hell? Like I just spent all this money, right? Like what's what's gonna happen next? Like Saheli, like that like the deck was probably a little bit too impressive. It for many reasons no reason to discuss it here. People can go on and on about it. Right. But then like where does that leave you if you're going to be the type of person that plays the best deck in standard, right? Like if you if you bought a Mardu Vehicles after we saw the results from this weekend, where does that leave you? Like, oh, like am I going to get like another like eighteen months on my heart of Kieran? or is Harakir going to be card that's ubiquitous enough, oppressive enough that eventually it's going to hit, like, get the axe and then it's like, okay, what's the next deck after that, right? You just kind of fall in the cycle. I think Amonkhet, the fact that the cards do feel a little bit underpowered, people haven't really had any sort of uh, real need to, like, test anything yet, I think it's kind of keeping the prices down. I do suspect that after the uh, Pro Tour, I think if we see, like, some new breakout decks, which I assume will be the case... Um, if Mardu vehicle wins again, then I don't really know what's going to happen to match going forward. There's just going to be like a whole other set of problems uh, for standard. But if we do something, see some something new and innovative, then I think we could probably see like some Amicet cards kind of go up. In terms of the actual invocations, I think too many people are in the boat of we open too much product. We have all these invocations that we need to sell just to be able to recuperate our costs. And the fact that everyone is on that boat, everyone's trying to sell these invocations, and you can only sell the invocations so fast, is really what's causing the price to go down. Because unlike a lot of the, like the Kaladesh ones, I mentioned this last week, Kaladesh, the inventions they were just way more popular. They're like just people just need more of them, whereas things like, you know, like who really needs like an invocation days or who really needs an invocation counterspell? Most of these, unless you play Legacy, you want to like pimp out your deck or counterspell for your cube or whatever. There's just not the same of demand for them that, like, the inventions or the expeditions did.
3: Am I supposed to be speaking?
0: Well, it's Jim, but he just decided to stay silent.
1: Sorry. Probably for uh, the I don't really have anything to add to what Ed said, so I'm not going to repeat him.
3: I was having technical difficulties, so I don't know what we're talking about. Talking about the EV of Amonkhet. Mm, the same as every other set that comes out this time of year. Except it's way worse than normal. Yeah, for now. I mean, uh, it has to be because Copycat was sucking it up, right? Like, none of the set looked good in the face of Copycat. Now it's more interesting, but we don't know yet for sure.
0: Yeah, and speaking of a new meta, zombies sort of quote-unquote broke out at Star City. The amount of crit breakers I sold today at 4 to $5 is obscene. Like... That was the whole Douglas Johnson bulk rare plan where you paid like 10 cents on those because they were like 50 cents on TCG. And then as soon as those spike, you you race to the bottom as fast as possible just to get rid of them and make a quick buck. Um, as far as the zombies go, like, yeah, it's a cool deck, but if you were sitting on them, I would sell out to like a personal play set and just get rid of as many as possible because uh, up until this point, standard hasn't really changed due to uh, Gideon's... Uh, omnipresence everywhere I
3: guess like he's been everywhere so when it's not omnipresence everywhere it's just his omnipresence yeah yeah. thank you
0: for the English lecture dad Um, you know like there's really not been that much movement in the market so whenever anything is spiking in this new sort of standard uh, invocation era I just want to dump it as fast as possible and not like try to get greedy over stuff
3: well, that's not, not really any different than normal standard, right? Like, standard for years has been, if it goes up, just dump it immediately.
0: Um Jace Architect of Thought was something a lot of MTG finance guys would s- said would hit 30 after that block, the block Pro Tour and block testing on Magic Online in that format. And even when he hit 15, they said, keep holding on to him. And they were correct, because it did continue to go up to 30. Okay, uh, so,
3: so I, I, I'll grant you that that was correct. And I remember doing the same thing with, like, Avengers Endicar, But that right. was... Now we're talking. I was like seven years ago. Like basically, since they ax the block Pro Tour, it's been dump your standard cards every time they spike. Yep,
1: I'd agree with you there.
0: Ed, do you want to sit on a bunch of standard crap?
2: Nope. nope. I think I think I've mentioned this before. Like standard just turns over so quick for us. It's different because I have luxury being a store. Um, I just got back from DreamHack this morning, and I was told that RTG direct order this morning was eight thousand cards. Uh, a ton of it was Ammonket. so that just like that just goes to speak like the volume that that standard that standard turn over. It just turns over so fast that basically anything we get, we just put online. Um, I'm happy to sell it. Like the margins are there. I see no reason to pay ten cents on Cryptbreaker or hold on to it for half a year or whatever in hopes that it. Um, that it goes up, uh, and like whatever I gain on it is basically negated by the fact that I have to sit on it. So it, it's a different market. It's a different model. Um, I don't think either party is wrong, but I think for us, like I'm just happy to turn over the standard product um, and just and just turn it back and just put it back into the system as fast as I can.
0: Actually, Travis, now that I think about it, there was a card that went up that I did dump in retrospect that I shouldn't have. Relentless Dead tripled or doubled based off just hype of Amonkhet zombies up to like eight to $10 from four to five. And now it's like 16 to 18.
3: Well, that's very results oriented though, right? Like if you had had the chance to sell them at 10, I don't think it would have been wrong to do that.
0: Right. Which is what I did. Um, One of the biggest mantras in MTG finance is leaving 10% for the next guy. And even if it's a hundred percent, why not make a
1: profit on the card as long as it's worth your time. I think we can all agree on that. 100% 100% that's like the if the, if you don't do NTG finance and there's one thing that you can take away from this cast it is please 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 don't hold stuff because you think it's going to keep going up just unless, sell it and, and get your like however many dollars and just just don't hold on to it anymore just don't do it because most people are not going to pay enough attention or have a good enough guess as to what's going to happen in the future and, and 99% of people are just better off selling their stuff
3: unless you're me who holds his cards to go up at every time, all the time, and never sells when he's supposed to. I sold restore balances to today. Shout out, today. out I didn't, to Travis for that. I haven't listed my Wheel of Fates yet either, and those are like 10 bucks now. Yeah, the Commander ones are. I don't know about the Time Spiral ones. There were like three copies left, and there are like 13 or something. And speaking of right.
0: Locking so injured, Just don't be
1: Travis. That's yeah. the, the moral of the story here.
0: And speaking of locking in your profits, uh, Jim called a card last week that definitely went up, and I think we can all agree to dump. Uh, one of the things before Jim mentions about how right he was on this pick last week um, is it's an uncommon, and it's worth quite a bit of money right now. But like the amount of people that can go digging in their bulk to replace it is not a non-zero amount of people, and this will naturally trend back down over time. Or at least settle at a, a lower price point than what it's at right now as demand catches as supply catches up to demand essentially. Now, Jim, you can go ahead and brag about how correct you were on calling this.
1: I mean, I just have another card out of that same deck this week.
0: Do you want to say what uh, the card was first though? So that our listeners sure. No, we just want to about.
1: beat her in the bush. Okay, so last week I was talking about Blowfly Infestation, which is a card that um, basically deals with minus one, minus one counters, and it's from Shadow more, so there's just not a ton of copies available of it. Also, it something
3: f- you deal with in Florida all the time. I'm sorry, what? That it's also something you deal with in Florida all the time.
1: Uh, don't fly
3: infestation.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I'm like trying to think. I don't think we actually. I've never seen those. Like, just bugs in general are a thing in warm places. So, I guess so. Whatever. That was a loose joke. Um. Yeah, it was like thirty cents last week. Now it's a couple of dollars this week because commander players are getting their hands on Hypatra, And although I did not realize it at first, it is an infinite combo with Hepatra in play. So uh, you can just like kill everybody with a Blood Artist if that's your thing. But basically, um, the the reason I thought of or uh, like I chose it as my pick of the week is because another card had already gone up from that deck. Or from that set of like cards that are probably in that deck, which was crumbling ashes. Um, and it does kind of the same thing where it like deals with minus one, minus one counters. It's from Eventide, which is even less printed than Shadow More and less open. And it's really not that hard to see why it end up like this. Uh, if you want to look at or spec on EDH cards, you really need to be looking at EDHRec.com. That is the best place to find out what people are playing, what's popular, and why. And if you go there right now, you can see that Hepatra, Vizier of Poisons, is the fourth most popular commander this week. And it is the only commander in the top four that is from the set. So naturally, people that don't own these cards already will go to the store and buy them, or go online and buy them. So cards that are shared between those decks that are not very easy to find are cards that you probably want to be investing in and flipping pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, good point. Shout out to Jim's internet for crapping out as
3: usual. Um, Also, shout out to my joke. That was a good joke.
0: Yeah, I thought that joke was pretty fly. It didn't really bug me at all.
1: Uh, You're the fucking worst. I'm I'm using that one up.
3: Okay. I don't have Um, X split, so I can't put the counter up.
0: Yeah, one of the one of the things that people don't understand is how much money uh, modern era and, and older bulk is worth, especially the lower one block, and eventide and all that stuff. It's just like free money. Like vendors will pay you more in bulk if you bring them bulk of that, and a lot of the commons and uncommons are just worth free money. So that's something that you should definitely look up on MTG.gg when like you're trying to find out how to blueprint this stuff essentially which I know a lot of uh, backpack grinders and small and small finance people that have like a couple thousand cards used to get the most value out of their cards. Um, we have a, you guys want to jump into viewer questions or are there any other topics you want to talk about for the week?
3: Uh, yeah, we should do viewer questions. I'm sure they've got something interesting for us to answer.
0: All right, Ed, do you want to talk about your dream hack weekend while I pull up viewer questions?
2: Yeah, um, so I like was at uh, DreamHack this past weekend. Cascade Games are one of the TOs. They've done uh, San Antonio. They're doing Omaha, Denver, Portland uh, Grand Prixes for the year. Um, they partnered with DreamHack. They were basically there. They provided uh, the whole tabletop experience for players. So anyone who doesn't know about DreamHack, it is the world's largest LAN party. It originated in Sweden, I think, I want to say, like, the late 90s. Um like and it, it's been a steady thing. Basically, people would go there for a full weekend, bring their computers, set up for a LAN party. Uh, Sunset is, is it's expanded beyond that. Now they have like the full esports experience. When I was there, they had uh, there was a Hearthstone Grand Prix. There was a finals for Street Fighter, some sort of championship for Street Fighter. I don't follow Street Fighter. I'm sorry. Um, five. Five. Um, uh, the StarCraft uh, Blizzard series uh, was it the WCS or whatever they were playing uh, the North American I believe finals there as well and then Counter Strike had also uh, their like hundred thousand uh, dollar Counter Strike tournament there so it was like a huge esports event there were probably seventeen thousand people there uh, I think there were something like I can't remember how many uh, actual computer land spots were there um, there were a lot of uh, like computer hardware vendors there like asus was there uh, hyper x was there people were selling like all sorts of computer perfect items um so we were there with the tabletop we had we were there with our normal magic pokemon yugioh etc um and it was it was definitely a pretty sweet experience um the magic part that they tried to draw people to was a draft open which is similar to what they used to do on magic online where on sunday it was the finals it was a 64-man tournament Uh, you had to be on the leaderboard, which meant you had to get a certain number of points or you had to win one of the qualifying events. And the eight-man pods, the winner from each pod would go on to draft at the final table, which was a 10K. Um, That was the big draw of that. Um, And for me personally, I think, like this is the first time I've been to an event like this. Uh, It just kind of puts magic in perspective. Magic is just so trivially small compared to what esports actually is like. Um like the amount of people that were showing up there was just it, it was just mind-boggling to me. And the Dream Hack here, this is only the second time they've had DreamHack in the in the States. It's completely dwarfed by the one in Sweden, I think which they've had like over like a hundred thousand attendees with computers uh, for the LAN party now. And like, I, I think my biggest takeaway was that if Magic wants to actually be an eSport, there's a lot of problems they have to solve. I think step one is fix Moto, make it a way where if people want to jump in and view, it has to be a much more enjoyable experience. Like, trying to watch, like, a, like a stream, even, like, Star City streams, like, they have very high quality. They can pull up cards whenever a commentator says, like, oh, now he's playing Heart of and then you'll see a Heart of Kieran pop up on your screen or whatever. Like, those types of things, like, help, like make it a more easily viewable thing for the for the audience out there, but unless you actually know magic, you just have no idea what's going on. For me, like I don't play Hearthstone, I don't play Counter Strike. I used to play StarCraft, I used to uh or sorry, I don't play uh Hearthstone, I don't play Street Fighter. But for me it was easy enough to go up and watch them and it's like, oh, like you can see who's who's ahead, who's winning on both those and it's just very easy to get in even if you were a casual. Whereas something like Magic, I'm, like it's just too easy for people to browse over because the game is just way too complex compared to something like Counter-Strike Street Fighter or Hearthstone or StarCraft. Um, so that was my kind of my takeaway from the weekend. It was a sweet experience. Anyone who hasn't done DreamHack before, I'd definitely check it out. You can buy, like, one-day passes just to go in and walk around and check it out. Um, I think they have events in Atlanta and Denver later this year. So it's, it's worth checking out. It's definitely very, very different from a Grand Prix, um, and it's definitely something I would do again.
0: Shout out to the same guy for buying out Masterpiece Soaring 10 minutes ago while we were recording this cast. All copies under $130 are gone from all platforms, it looks like. TCG, eBay, Star City, Channel Fireball, ABU, etc.
1: I need to get one of those eventually. I'm kind of mad about that.
0: Yeah, I just got a notification that all of mine sold to the same guy, and then I just checked all the platforms,
3: and I'm like, oh, they're gone. Probably James has been vacuuming them up like crazy.
0: You know don't know man it's not james um, so that's just something to take away if you're listening live on this cast and your lgs still has expedition masterpiece Soul rings at 100 bucks or whatever like all the copies are gone apparently under a certain price point point. and it wasn't me this time so i could feel comfortable talking about it uh shout out to corbin hustler of brainstorm brewery for making top eight of dream hack uh the sauce boss clucked his way to victory um I think he got a limit. They like split the cash in the top eight from what I heard, but uh, he had one of the best uh drafts this weekend and he just sort of winged it along until he made it. So he's really at the top of his game, something to crow about, I guess.
2: You're just the worst. Like, all those were so forced, it was just abysmal. Uh, they did a top four split, but yeah, it was definitely a very sweet yeah. event. Like, I think draft opens are something that uh. I think the kind of format of it is something that maybe Grand Prix can kind of embrace. It's a way to just push more people to do side events because a lot of people on the leaderboard got there on the virtue of just playing and playing events and getting points uh, to be one of the top 64. Um, I think it's something that like if you have that on Grand Prix, you just have like a bunch of small qualifier events and then just give people the opportunity to kind of grind their way there. You can definitely like get a lot more side events firing that people might not otherwise be enthused about.
0: Yep. At Vorthos Mike asks, what Infect card is going to pop next? Off Nexus. Which one?
3: Off Nexus. It's still cheap, isn't it?
0: I just got that Nationals reprint that was supposed to be like some other Regionals promo or something. And it was
1: supposed to be M- WMCQ, but they don't exist anymore. So okay, I thought they were a-
0: bringing it back for Nationals.
3: Whatever well, it is, it was going to be like WMC cube and it might be like the nationals or something, but whatever it is, it's one of these real limited release tournaments and the card still only has the one mirrored in besiege printing. And we already knew about that promo like months ago. We didn't know where it was coming from. It was unofficial, but we knew about it. Well, next is the next card to go at 20 bucks for a land. I mean, every useful land in modern that doesn't make mana is like $40. It's
1: true, but I I feel like the, prevalence of infect is like way down now and people just don't choose to play it very much anymore. So there's not a lot of pressure on the staples to continue to rise because people just don't want to buy them. There's just better decks for you to play.
3: I mean, you're completely correct,
1: but his question wasn't is it going to go up soon? It's going to be what's the
3: next one like it might not be even within the next three months, but I think the next card that will do it will be that card.
0: Yeah, I mean, we saw spells could already have a healthy rebound, rebound up to like 17, 18 that's like a, another good one to look at,
1: yeah, I mean, there are, I guess there are a couple of cards that you can look at, like I feel like you're be more likely that there's like an edh infect card that would go up before any of the um, modern or legacy playable ones would
3: I'd think next question. Ed's, I
0: hear- Ed's gone.
3: Oh, he walked away. <laughs>
0: hey man, you guys are real bad at internet and staying on the cast. Hey look, Ed's back. Ed, what do you think of Inkmoth Nexus? <clears throat>
2: uh I kind of like it right now. I think Affinity kind of goes in like this uh, cyclic um, pattern where a like kind of falls out of favor because some deck just performs well against it. I think Death Shadow has a reasonable matchup against Affinity. So like is probably kind of at slow right now and then Modern will probably change in such a way where Fanny will get popular, and then Inkboth Nexus will go up. Um, I The the fact that it's going to be a Nationals promo is not going to add that many. Um, unlike the previous iterations in Abrupt Decay, Geist of State Traft, Vengevine, etc., um, it was easier to get multiples because people who would go to WMCQs they could go to three events if they really wanted to, or two events for, you know... Um, places like Europe where the country is small, like the UK, realistically, plenty of people just went to all three. Um, now that there's only one nationals event, uh, per country, like you, obviously you can't go to a different uh, country to try and qualify it. There's just going to be way fewer of them than I imagine what the abrupt decays looked like in the past. So like the fact that there's more of it doesn't really hurt the price. I think like buying into them right now is not a bad, um, idea. Because uh, uh, eventually affinity is going to go up. I think it's it's been one of those decks that's always been hovering near the top, and it's just going to be a matter of time before affinity just becomes like probably the most played deck in modern again.
3: So so Ed approaching this completely about affinity instead of in uh, in fact validates my point I think. Because uh, the question, Ed, was what is the next Infect card to jump? And I said Inkboth Nexus. And then you just spent three minutes telling us why Inkboth Nexus is good because of Affinity. But really, I guess the question would be what else would it be? Like what other card would you pick from Infect?
1: I mean, I definitely agree with you on that point. Like now that I'm like thinking about, I forgot that Affinity also plays it. It's a it's a multi-deck staple, which definitely gives it the ability to go up faster and more rapid and, and more more like... Extremely because there could be more than one kind of deck wanting to purchase it. Yeah.
3: Also, you know, there's a format I've heard of, I think, because of an L. I don't know. Jeremy's played it once or twice, but I guess it's useful in that format as well. I've heard rumors of this format, but I don't think it exists anymore.
0: We had an eighty person win a Lotus legacy tournament this weekend, and in fact, was two out of the top eight. Oh. uh and in fact only one in the finals because the show-and-tell player punted because he didn't know that lotus pedal can activate sneak attack which was hilarious but after like 11 hours of swiss i don't blame him so yeah legacy is fun man uh i had a lot of cast viewers say hi to me that drove up to eight hours away to play in our tournament which was pretty cool um obviously like they didn't drive eight hours to fill the slots we were sold out but they had like booked like the day after we announced the tournament and wanted to drive in and say hi i played a lot of old school and vintage with them too so it was cool
3: uh that sounds interesting
0: yeah uh we had a lot of people on standby to try to play in the tournament last minute and we obviously just like did not have the seats for all of them we got we let two people in on standby because it was raining and there were flash floods and like Two of the people driving in couldn't make it, so they forfeited their spot. So we had two people on standby pick up their spot. But that was it. It's a really good tournament, though. Um, I spent far too much money, if you follow me on Twitter, this weekend buying collections. And after today's interesting development, I will probably be buying another big collection soon. So,
3: hashtag humble brag. The interesting development that your parents gave you a shit ton of more money to buy more cards with. <laughs> uh no as
0: i've said off this cast but thank you for saying that live i don't take their money but i
3: appreciate it thanks travis i mean, i don't know what resources you have available to you it just seems like you know something somebody could do money okay
0: um it's a thing called an llc you should try it sometime anyway we have the next viewer question and that would be Uh, At Rika Claus asks, how do you value foreign cards compared to each other? What makes a language more expensive than the others for you?
1: Can I take this one first? Yeah. So, generally speaking, I will uh, value all languages less than English because, uh, all other languages, I should just say, less than English because I don't have a store and I don't know a lot of people that would necessarily be interested in purchasing them. And I can't buy list them to like pretty much any store. It's so difficult. They usually give you about the same or less. There's no reason to give them a premium unless you actually enjoy that language card. Sure,
3: Ed has good input on this.
2: Uh, I don't take them. I think that's like generally the consensus across vendors. Um, They're very, very hard to sell a TCG player. The listing is very awkward. You have to. There's a separate drag down menu, um, just uh, to enter foreign cards. Um, the organization is kind of a nightmare. We have like a separate Ford box that we have in our uh, in our department over there somewhere. That box is a complete nightmare to go through, um, especially on older cards. Trying to organize them like nowadays, if you look at the bottom, like English cards say EN, Japanese cards say JP, etc. So it's easier to tell the language now, but there's still a lot of confusion. There's a lot of errors in that box where people couldn't differentiate between Spanish, Portuguese, etc. Um, honestly, I would just rather not deal with the headache even if it's like, you know, even if you bring up something like, you know, uh, uh, you know, a Japanese Gideon or something. Most likely, I'll say no. If I'm low on Gideons, I'll say yes um, and I'll probably pay you the same price as English. Japanese and Russian cards are really the only cards that I'll take, um... And for the most part, like I'm just going to make nothing. I'm just gonna put it back in the booth for like a dollar or two more, make my ten percent on foreign cards and move on with my life.
1: So I have a real quick question. Before manicrypt got reprinted, would you buy any of the foreign white border ones? No. <laughs> okay. Do you would you buy a foreign duels though? FBBs? No.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't either. Or FWBs, neither.
1: That's interesting. That's like the kind of the only card that I think some people might buy at a premium.
2: Uh they're they're very hard to move. The um generally like the basically for duels people either want like oh I just want like cheap beat the shit revised ones that I can play with my commander deck or just I need to get a legacy deck done. I just want cheap revised ones as B as possible or if they're actually looking to pimp their deck then like people just go generally go straight to beta. FBB is kind of in that weird spot in the middle where I it, 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 it's just very, very hard to move and like those types of things like unlimited duels I generally stay away from as well. Um, I just don't want to get stuck with them. It's very they're just they're just too hard to move. so I, I just generally say pass and generally people who do want them, they probably want too much on them and it's hard to find like a, a fair price point to begin with.
3: Um, I will add to this topic quick. Uh, I, you know, Ed and Jeremy have considerable more experience with foreign cards than I do. Um, my only input on this is having, you know, I went to Japan a couple of years ago, brought back a bunch of cards, English and Japanese, and then went through the process of selling them. Selling foreign cards is a nightmare if you are an armchair person like me. Um, you really have to be very careful. Basically, the people who are buying cards for their commander decks want to read them. The only players who don't care that they can't read their magic cards are real spikes. So that means like Japanese foil Tarmogoyfs, sure, there's a lot of money there or, you know, force of will, stuff like that, like really ultra competitive cards are, um, you know, those languages are better or foreign languages are are can be better, but if it's something somebody wants to put in their commander deck, just stay away. Um, until y- if you're asking that question, you should stay away. Sometimes you can make a profit off it. I picked up a bunch of Japanese chromatic lanterns and was able to um, turn those into a profit, which is a very EDH card. But like, it's really few and far between that you d- will not, you, that you won't get stuck with them. Uh, so just be very careful about it. Um, and as for the language point, uh, Japanese, Korean, and Russian because of a combination of them being more rare and nerds liking anime uh, any other language is either on par or worse in english essentially
1: i'd also uh, also kind of argue that those three languages also don't use the roman alphabet which makes them look a little cooler that's true
0: well chinese doesn't either but neither simplified or traditional chinese sells well here
1: that might just be a preference thing but i'm saying those languages in particular over like German or French or Spanish or whatever Um, and this doesn't include some weird corner cases of cards that have like odd names in certain languages like the French delay is desirable the Spanish uh, Sarkon, the Mad Inquisition of Kozilek Um, Just some weird stuff is up with the names and people like them more because of that.
0: Cool. All right. Let's get into pick of the week. Jim, as usual, we'll put you on the
1: spot while you attempt to pass. No, I'm good. I got plenty of cards. So basically, I'm just going to move down the list. I have the EDH Rec rec page open for Hapatra. And the next card that really sticks out at me as a card that is poised to go up and as soon as people realize that it's a card and want to buy it, it is Flourishing Defenses. Uh, It's a Lorewind Uncommon, it's like $0.50, it deals with minus-1, minus-1 counters, and makes more creature tokens, which is just everything that a Hypatra EDH deck is going to want to do. And it's in 80% of them right now, uh, which is close to the 92% that we're playing Blowfly Infestation. Um, I think that this is just another card that... You know, it, it's it'll take a couple of days, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, but eventually people will all settle on this being a, deck, a card that's just going to in every one of these decks because um, they're going to probably read it wrong, and it's much better than it looks. What card did you say? It's called Flourishing Defenses. Uh, it's a five and a green enchantment. It says whenever a minus one minus one counter is placed on a creature, you may put that many one one Elf Warrior tokens into into play.
3: Yeah, I remember this card.
1: Yeah, so Hypatra, yeah, like... like, you know, it lets you do, like, things like your Black Sun Zenith to kill the whole board makes you just, like, 80 elves and you just kill somebody. Or your uh, Midnight Banshee kills all of your snakes and makes a bunch of extra elves and snakes and stuff. It's just, it's just another card, like, Blowfly Fes- Infestation and Crumbling Ashes. that people just don't know what that is. And... As soon as they do they'll be like, "Oh man, this is great in my deck." Like, it's the same thing that happened with Devoted Druid and Quill Spike. Like, those cards have existed together forever. People just didn't know what they did, and then they saw the new Vizier of whatever that doesn't let you put counters on your guys, and then they're like, "Oh man, this is an infinite combo." Like, yeah, this is just the thing that happens.
0: Next up.
2: Who
3: is it? You got to tell us.
2: Ed I'm actually ready this week. Um, uh, traditional Standard Mythic. Uh, I think it's Paradox Engine this week. It's one of those cards where it has the, it definitely has a making to be broken. It's unlikely that Standard will break in such a way that you'll have some very, very busted combo with it. But the appeal of it is that it's an EDH card. It does very well. It's very busted in EDH. Um, it's uncertain if it does survive a few more bannings or not. I think there may be a point where it might get banned. Um, someone who plays EDH more than I do can correct me on that, um, but I—it's—it's it's a very—it's a very low cost right now. I think it's like six dollars ish to buy into. Um, any deck that can realistically break it will probably want it as a four of, uh, and I think most commander decks can generally abuse it. And being an artifact, it has a lot it has a lot of utility just across multiple decks. So that's my—that's my pick for the week.
1: As someone who plays a lot of commander and recently had someone build a deck that has a Paradox engine in it, pretty much every time he casts that card, he wins the game. So it would be surprising to me if it doesn't get banned eventually.
3: <laughs> of course, a counterpoint to that is Soul Ring. <laughs> like anytime someone says this card should be banned in EDH, it's like, well, Soul Ring's legal. So who the hell knows what's going on over there?
1: My problem like like Soul Ring, gives you like a, a unfair advantage, but it doesn't outright win the game paradox engine outright wins the game and also sometimes takes forever to kill everyone. It's just it's just a mess of a card,
3: which is a completely fair point. I don't mean, think totally fair,
1: but although again, you'd be like,
3: well, what about that? Uh, Eye navigator right like then it's the same thing. I, I'm this is just me complaining about the commander ban list. Um. So it's my turn then. I am going to go with... Uh, I'm ready too this week. It feels really bad that we were all ready. I don't know. Like we're losing our charm. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Nissa Vital Vital Force, I believe. Let me make sure I get that name right. Nissa Vital Force. This is the five mana Nissa from Kaladesh. Um, all of us forgot that she's legal. We forgot this card existed because she's been unplayable. Uh, because if you weren't either casting... If you were tapping out in turn five and it didn't involve Gideon, you were losing the game The copycat. Um, but now that that's gone, um, Nissa is a really interesting planeswalker. She's 5 mana for 5 loyalty. She animates a land um, for 5-5 five, five haste, so it hits pretty hard, but it is animated until your next turn, so... It, she still protects herself. She doesn't make a 2-2 token or something like that, but she, she does leave behind a land. She untaps the land and leaves it behind as a creature so you can play defense with it. Um, her minus just returns uh, permanents, which are probably going to be your best creature um, whenever you uh, for her minus. And then her ultimate only requires you to plus her once, um, and you get an emblem where you draw a card every time you put a land into play. Uh, so definitely on the weaker side as far as emblems go, but it is uh, available to you. I think that you know her price is like $4 right now for a fairly playable Planeswalker. Um, she's from Kaladesh, which means she doesn't rotate until next fall, fall 2018. So she's got a lot of time to really find her stride. Um, and at 4 bucks for a pretty playable Planeswalker that's got kind of a year and a half left in standard, I think there's a, a pretty reasonable shot for Nissa. Wow,
0: that's a really good pick. Um, you had a lot of facts behind that. If only Ed hadn't uh, already picked
3: that. When did he pick Miss of Vital Force? About a month ago. Uh, well, it was a dollar more a month ago, so I don't have to feel bad about it. Right. I think it's longer than that, but... My pick
0: of the week is True Conviction. This got reprinted in Commander 2014, down to a bulk run. It's already back up to $2 and trending up. Everyone still thinks this card's bulk. You can still find it in bulk bins at your LGS, and like both copies are $2 and going up pretty fast. So I like this hitting 4 bucks.
1: I, like, talk about some other cards? Because usually we only do one a week, but I think we might be running out of time for some things. And there's, like, a couple of things I'd probably like to get squared away. I know this will not count as my pick of the week for your glorious... Uh, Just get it over with spreadsheet. I don't so, know if uh, our
3: listeners really want more free money. I, that doesn't seem like something they'd be interested in.
1: Maybe not. Um, so there's, like, a couple other cards um, that I'm kind of interested in. One is another EDH card, which is Carnifex Demon. Um, it's a bulk rare. You could probably find them in your bulk rare boxes somewhere. Uh, it combos really well with the minus one, minus one counter thing. Yeah, it's from Scars and Mirrodin. It's just it's just a regular rare. It hasn't been reprinted. It's a demon, but it also, like, wraths your opponent's board and makes you a bunch of snakes um, if you're playing Hepatra. and it is in 80% of the decks that are playing Hepatra. And the other thing I think that you should be taking a, a closer look at and... I know we've said it a million times before, but I still think that Aetherworks Marvel is going to be a big force at the Pro Tour. Um, We've said it before, I'll say it again, the card's busted, the worst things to play against are pretty much gone, like you don't have to worry about dying to Sahili Rai. Um, Someone's going to figure out Aetherworks Marvel. I don't know who it's going to be, like I saw a video last week of Brad Nelson playing with uh, the new Liliana, Death's Majesty and, like, Tormenting Voice to discard Umalog, and, like, you could put it back into play with Liliana, or you could use Marvel to flip into it. So I think there's, there's, a, there's an Aetherworks Marvel shell somewhere, and that card's just not going to be $3. Like, it just is too good for that.
3: I follow um, one of the guys who won a Star City Invitational a couple of years ago, uh, Eric, whose last name escapes me at the moment, but he said he's seen uh, it's Marvel's been all over Modo the last couple of days. It's really picked up steam.
1: Yeah, and even if you go look at the like the top sixty four deck lists from um from the open, there are a couple of Marvel decks and they're all playing Ullamog and Aetherworks Marvel and it really doesn't take a whole lot. Like if there's too many um you know, Martyr Vehicles decks that are keeping the control decks back, nobody's playing counter spells, the card's too good. It's gonna kill everybody.
3: Yeah, and, and Luliana having been printed really adds a whole other dimension to that because you just get to slam Ulamogs in the play if they end up in your graveyard. And really, like, the best tool that was... The, the most main deckable tool that was printed to beat Marvel is Manglehorn. But Manglehorn doesn't stop you from just slamming... The, um, basically slamming the Marvel and going off pretty quickly. They have to have an answer. They, well, I guess it come, makes it come in the play tapped, but that means they have to have an answer the next turn, too, or they or you get you get them with it.
1: Yeah, and there's also some other reasons, like people are not playing as many declarations as Stone anymore, so like, exiling Ulamog is not particularly easy, um, I don't know, there's there's just a lot of, there's a lot of things going for Aetherworks Marvel, I wouldn't be surprised to see it at the next couple of Star City Opens, and even the Pro Tour, and it's pretty cheap right now, and he still has a whole other year of that being in Standard, so, um, <laughs>
3: I saw a declaration in stone and a deck list from the open this week, and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that card. Like, I forgot that was legal. I keep forgetting that all of Battle for Zenakar and Shadow is still legal because I got so used to seeing the same cards and standard week in and week in and week in. And now I see the ones that haven't been playable in four months. It's like, oh yeah, that's still here.
0: And finally, let's get into our shout outs and where people can find you guys.
2: Edwin13 uh, on Twitter. Uh, I will be not in Richmond this weekend. I think I think it's improbable. I probably have to be at the store after that. Uh, we're hosting uh, regionals uh, in store in Catskill, our main location. Come check us out there. You can sign up on our website at chromegamesstore.com. A uh, week after that is. A friend's wedding, so I will not be in Montreal, and then after that, I'll be in Japan.
1: My name is Jim Casal. You can find me on uh, Twitter at PHROST underscore. You can find me on ED, or no, can't <laughs> find me on track unless you can like see me through the website. You'll probably see me on EDHREC. Really, not,
3: England for a job there, huh? <laughs> no, I'm
1: not. I, just, I have the page open. I don't know. I was just saying things. You can find me at Modern Nexus every week, and you can find me at Gathering Magic every other week. Uh,
3: and I am Travis Allen. I'm WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N on Twitter. Sorry that my overlay is missing. Exploit was, uh, was not working with me today. Uh, I write every Monday for MTGPrice.com. You can also find me on the podcast mtg fast finance most thursdays and if you like playing magic check out scry.land find magic in your area we just updated with new table views to make it easier to find events depending on how you like to search and we have a lot more features coming in the next few weeks so pay attention
0: and i'm zemet you can find me in the great state of missouri even though we're currently under a flood watch with many highways closed due to the roads flooding um Shout out to the Spike Feed MTG who had me on yesterday to talk about Legacy. Uh, Tomorrow I will be on Leaving a Legacy podcast and the day after that I'll be on Brainstorm. No, I'm kidding. Um, Let's see. Shout out to Tyler Johnson for winning the Tarmogoyf that we had uh, on our Facebook page. If you haven't liked us on Facebook, we will be giving away more prizes in the future. We randomly selected a... uh, person who had shared and liked our post who went a termogoyf and we'll message him after this cast to send him a free goyf so if you want to follow us on facebook or twitter at cartel underscore finance you are always welcome to you can find me on twitter at zemet sells
3: magic jason uh, is never letting you on brainstorm brewery after all the shit you give him on twitter yeah <laughs> you are just permanently banned yeah. At this point
1: yeah I, <laughs> I, don't he, I don't think he's banned i think there would just be not enough like content about magic and too much shit talking about their hockey teams
0: if i was ever on brainstorm brewery not even that i want to go on i would just be shit talking jason and corbin the entire time and i think that that was like
1: an accidental (laughs) shit talk
0: or not what i mean like let's put it this way like it's not worth my time to talk with those guys for an hour so like why even go on their cast you know Anyway, thanks for watching cartel aristocrats cast number 52
2: after all this shit talk, and we'll see you guys next week.